Thank you, Billy Ray Cyrus, for your rendition of our theme, and welcome to episode 20 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is the entire crew, Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue, and Tony. Yay! 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 <laughs> yes, 20 episodes. Wow. And you know what? This is such a jam-packed episode. So this is probably going to go a bit longer than normal. Tough titties if you are a person who prefers a 45-minute episode. So, no, nah, tough luck. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're going to go straight into our competition, our Late Show Quote competition, and we finally have decided on a winner. So here's all the entries. I'm going to play it all, and then I will announce the winner straight after. So here we go. I made love to her like a tiger, like a tiger, like a tiger. Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe in mental telepathy? No, I hear you think. Uh, g'day from uh, Dominic. How are you? No, miss, mister. You can say what you want about me. I may be ugly, but please don't never be as ugly as a night. What's all that about? No, I am not the man from the Where's Wally books. Tired of people walking up to me and saying, Found you. You forgot the bad language? Shit. Careful, there's three cubicles and one of them contains a pong. Oh, my eyes burning. Game over. Alright, you got it set up. You sure it's working? Alright, well, here we go. Here's my recording. Tough. Uncompromising, no holds barred, no beg your pardons. It's time for those intentional sparring partners, Graham and the bloody Colonel. Happy with that, are you? Hasta la vista, little fat kid. I just want to say thank you so much, everyone. All one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people who have entered uh, our shoddy podcast competition. We've had a deep discussion, which has been going on for weeks. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. That's... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Again, thank you so much, everyone. And we've decided the winner is... Sydney. Oh, wait, I don't have a drum roll. Oh, well, <laughs> it's out on the loan. It is Daniel with Jose Carreras. Yay! Thank you very much, everyone. Lance, Peter, Seb, Jeff, Asmo, Stephen, Tim, Clive, and Melissa. Thank you for entering and embarrassing yourselves on our show. <laughs> Daniel, you have won with your Jose Carreras impression. And so that means you have won <laughs> a very used Ripper vinyl album, free love degeneration bumper book of Aussie heroes, a partially soiled fake tan jet lag travel guide. A well-loved and partially rewounded Lucky Grills Hot Off The Grill Volume 3 cassette tape. Brand new Utopia Season 1 and 2 on DVD. And last but not least, an unopened, out of print, any questions of Ben DVD that will devalue your bookshelf. <laughs> That's uh, a shonky bag. Yes. Now... 
we've got more uh, feedback. Well, not really feedback, but it's just a response uh, in regards to episode 19 where they had Phil Cleary on the late show in regards to the whole, you know, stuff that went on in 1992. He actually responded uh, because we actually put an image out of Phil with Graham and the Colonel and he said, yep, that's me, Dane Swan's Collingwood dad. Billy was in the audience. Ha, ha, ha. So that's it. (laughs) Football references are lost on us, Phil. (laughs) Thanks, Phil. And, uh, yeah, you keep it up. So thanks for at least responding to our tweet. Now, we've got a little bit extra to talk about here. We've got our own copies of it, like our own personal library of this late show episode stuff, right? And so someone out there decided to sell their collection of uh, really dodgy – well, I'm not saying – it may not be dodgy, but it would be pre-loved VHS tapes of The Late Show, which they claim to have episodes on it of some sort, maybe of Birds of a Feather. Yes. <laughs> I love this oh, wow. Like, going around with bogus Late Show TV recordings. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I claim that they have 10 episodes of uh, 1992 episodes and um, 14 episodes of, from 1993. So it's not the entire 40 episode collection and originally wow. it went up on ebay for 30 dollars for an early start bid and just about an hour or two before our recording of this episode it finished at 35 bids later at 525 bucks <gasps> oh wow oh, so i gave mine away to the salvos now yeah oh, are you sure that Maybe these are them. it could be them because mine wasn't complete oh. Probably mine. Well, I was watching it. I've put the clip on Twitter already, and at 17 seconds to go, it was sitting at 450 bucks, and then it jumped up to 525. Yeah, uh, wow. People buy weird things in lockdown. I bought a starry light projector. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? You you, you don't. You you don't suppose that that gargantuan amount might have had anything to do with this podcast indirectly <laughs> indirectly they, they did reach out and uh to mention something about it and then it popped up on twitter just to have a joke at it as well as on facebook but i think the push on our fan page on facebook kind of pushed it over the edge a little bit yeah i wouldn't mind some commission mate so i know, <laughs> I know who you are i know <laughs> <laughs> you know, we uh, could easily spread the love around a little bit. But... Well, I, I certainly hope they're happy with their purchase, whoever's gotten it for, for 525 did you say? 525 bucks mm. Australian, yeah. Wow. Including yep. $18.75 postage that they have to pay for. That's pretty good for <laughs> Yeah. You know, I should have bought it because I had $5 off any item on eBay that eBay were offering. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're, we're not part of that whatsoever, 100%. Another thing uh, as well, and our Twitter's gone nuts, so thank you, everyone, all the new followers of our Twitter account at TLS Champagne because Jane Kennedy uh, tweeted out something saying uh, there was something in the news uh, and she wrote, times like this, I wish we were still doing the late show and tagged us in it. So it was actually in regards to the South Australian Medical Chief Officer, Nicola Spurrier. Spurrier? Oh, Uh, yes. Yeah. And it was (laughs) I've got to grab that. uh, Don't touch the ball. I'm in Adelaide and I'm definitely not touching any balls right now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Were were you touching balls previously, though? (laughs) Oh, all the time, yeah. 
<laughs> All the time. Whose balls? <laughs> well, here's the graph. We're looking at the seating at the moment, and of course we're looking at the ball. Because sometimes the ball, as well, not that I've been to many football games, I have noticed occasionally it does get kicked into the crowd. And uh, we are uh, working through the details of what that will mean. If you are at um, Adelaide Oval and the ball comes towards you, my um, advice to you is to duck and just do not touch that ball. <laughs> so if there's more news stuff or grabs like that that could encourage jane to get back to the late show you know, get that up and please by all means next year 2022 is 30 year anniversary we want a reunion no pressure yes, please yep 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 yeah hello to all the new followers who because of uh jane tagging us in that so and hi jane we have one more uh and this is from Stephen. actually this is Stephen who has been on the champagne comedy podcast before he mentions that in regards to episode 19 where mick and tony went to the tv museum that was last uh, episode yes. wasn't it uh, yes. Yeah. yes it was uh, studio city now uh and i played a reference only um for review critiquing purposes a snippet of the arcade theme now Stephen just wants to point out that Andrew Mercado had actually done a rendition of it on Tony Martin's old radio show, Get This, from back in the day. But Steve yeah. uh, challenged me to uh, sync it up with the actual arcade theme. Maybe you and I were walking through arcade. It's a pretty cool thing, but what the hell was the show? It was set in a shopping centre. So it was like a drama or a sitcom? A, yeah. a soap from memory. Oh, wow. Other than that, we'll get straight into Daniel G and his program guide if it's ready to go. Back in uh, July, they had a, a front page story uh, under the headline Sensitive Degeneration. And uh, this time around, the headline is Generation Retrospective. Mm. Um, although both uh, front cover stories have uh, the team... Uh, in these, it's sort of like a moody sort of a group shot. Um, I don't know whether it was the darkness of the microfilm, but, yeah, it was sort of very dark and moody. Just to sort of show you how far The Late Show has come uh, in uh, 20 episodes, these are the opening paragraphs. It has been the sleeper hit of the year. Tucked away on Saturday nights, The Degenerations The Late Show has revitalised that swamp of a television time slot and spiced up a local TV comedy scene that for two years had been dominated by Fast Forward. A new audience has been introduced to the Dead Generation's acerbic humour, for which the past four years had been accessible only to those who listened to them on 3MMM's breakfast radio. The Dead Generation have been liberated from the restrictions of radio and are once again savouring the freedom of ABC TV. Free of the restrictions of, of advertisements and the sensitivities of advertisers, the D-Generation also have the extra adrenaline of performing The Late Show live. In only five months, their show has won a reputation of producing the sharpest, most irreverent comedy on television. Since its debut on the 18th of July with a rating of 11, The Late Show has climbed to last week's best of 15. These figures are not particularly high by commercial TV standards, but word of mouth has made this show one that a lot of people, including those in other networks, are talking about. The Late Show now has the mantle of fresh topical humour previously worn by Seven's fast-forward team, who in turn had won it from Tens the Comedy Company. 
on very, very high praise indeed from uh, from Raymond Gill, who writes this article. Then uh, later on in the article, uh, we hear from the team about some of their writing. Uh, Rob Sitch says, when we do something about Bill Kelty, it's not some joke about the wages accord, but Bill Kelty's hair. Tom Gleisner agrees. Fast forward, did all those sketches about banks ripping off customers, but if we did a bank joke, it would probably be about how the pens never work or how there are never any tellers at lunchtime. Tom also says, my favourite humour is the observation of real things and to focus on natural foibles rather than an absurdist humour. The sketch I'm most proud of this year is the dinner party sketches we did about the sort of people you always meet at dinner parties. Sitch describes uh, Tom's humour as one-liner, whereas uh, Rob's own comedy is based on stupid, silly stuff, he says. Yes, it is taking the piss out of the self-important and looking at grandiose, hyperbolic stupidity. My brothers are the same. We grew up doing that stuff at home. Uh, He goes on to say that Tony and Santo are much more linear thinkers and come up with stuff you just can't put your finger on. Tony is quicker at picking things up than the rest of us. Mick has a much more forthright style that's almost dangerous. We are all pretty much as we appear. The author goes on to say that the key to The Late Show's loose style is that the cast members are never anything other than themselves. When Sitch and Chilaro adopt their Graham and the Colonel personas, the humour relies on the two performers barely being able to keep in character. Then there's uh, a bit about some of the criticisms they've received from, of course, Warnicky and Fidgen, among others. (laughs) Tom says, Criticism that we feel is unjustified or ill-considered does annoy us. When Philip Adams said it was tasteless to make jokes about Bosnia, we thought, well, he's got a good point and maybe he's right. Though we often work on the time-distance equation. If it's long enough ago or far enough away, it's fair game. And just just briefly... uh, I think that's uh, quite a sort of a, a telling point between uh, perhaps the, the reaction to comedy then and now. I think maybe now you can't really apply that time-distance mm. equation to, to making comedy yeah. today. Yeah, that We're stands out as a real, yeah, real donger, that one. Yeah, we, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, haven't we, about, you know, jokes about war, theatres of war being tasteless and, and really it's just attitudes of change. At the time it was perfectly acceptable. Oh, that's over there on the other side. We can laugh about that as much as we like. And, and now people are much more sensitive to the... The world feels closer, you know, these days. Yeah, I think part of that is definitely due to the internet. I mean, I mean that's, that's how we're getting yeah. together for this podcast, for instance. The article finishes off with what's going to be happening next. Raymond Gill writes, Commercial networks have been quietly inquiring as to the DGEN's plans next year, but the ABC wants them back. Although a contract has not yet been finalised, a second series is expected to commence next July. Glasner says producing 60 minutes of commercial-free live TV comedy for 22 weeks has taken its toll, and the cast are now close to burnout. I think we can do it one more year, but I don't think we could after that, he says. Like a typical Mm. member of his generation, Sitch adds... We just get too bored. Isn't that quite telling? Yes. Also, I think very, very common um, with most of Working Dogs out, but like I would say, like apart from have you been paying attention, nothing has really lasted maybe like, anywhere between two to four seasons, really. They did used to, they used to really power through stuff. I think with the panel, they sort of started to settle down a bit more. But then again, how old were they? They would have been 40-ish around the panel, so I guess... 
Mm. It's like everyone, you reach a stage in life where you slow down. The panel isn't really a show that requires a lot of work in the sense that you have to script it and get costumes and everything. All, all you have to do really is book some guests and, and you can go on for years, and they did. And, and really, I think it's the same with Have You Been Paying Attention? They, they just need to write some funny questions and they've got a formula and they just need to book the guests. That the, it, it's not like something like Frontline where you've got to spend weeks and weeks writing one script and then cast it and you know get the costumes and the sets and everything. It, it's, it's just it's sort of less work. So it seems like in their career they've always tried to have a kind of a banker that they can just keep, keep going back to all the time and just have running in the background. So the panel, have you been paying attention? And, and thank God you're here, examples of that. Plus, plus the kind of the things that require a bit more work, like the sitcoms, they they try to have them both going at the same time, so they've got kind of ongoing work, which which makes a lot. Well, sense. this is the first time in a while that they weren't doing Utopia as well as um, have you been, um, been paying attention? So mm. they've sort of yeah, it's only really now that they're just focusing on that. So I assume they'll be up to something else soon. It's quite interesting, mm. actually, because like the panel came out when they were when they were having children and they were small. Yeah. And then uh, have you been paying attention? It's come out when many of them had children that were like <laughs> going through VCE or whatever. <laughs> so it's like the two times when you need to sort of just have a bit more time at home and stuff. That's my take on it. Might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good take. It's a good take. <laughs> so now moving on to uh, what was up against season one, episode twenty. Like uh, the previous nineteen episodes, uh, this is from a critical guide to the weekend's TV, which would appear next to the listings uh, in the Saturday Age. So you get to hear what Ross Warnicky thinks about all these shows. Uh, starting with Channel Seven, we've got uh, the film Lonesome Dove the concluding chapter of the encore screening of the mega Western based on Larry McMurtry's acclaimed novel. Says Warnicky, sadly, it never lived up to expectations. The spectacular photography and splendid acting from principals Robert Duvall, Tommy Lee Jones and Angelica Houston could not compensate for an often tedious script. Uh, and that one goes on, it goes from 8.30 until about 12.30, so... Pretty hard slot, I think, against everything else. Again, there's no hey hey uh, this week, so they they are they have pretty much uh, finished for the year. Uh, what was on at seven o'clock though was a 1990 Australian family adventure film called Mystery Island. Four children help to capture a counterfeiting gang, starring Michael McClinchy, Melissa Wood, Charlie the Wonder Dog, the Pissweek Kids, and Charles <laughs> Bud Tingwell as Grant. <laughs> okay, so okay, so those last three probably weren't in there, but gee, it does sound like a Charlie the Wonder Dog episode, doesn't it? Totally, <laughs> very Enid Blyton plot. Yeah, I think that plastic currency put those counterfeiting gangs out of business in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then at 8.30, well, you can probably guess what the movie is by me doing this. Right. Great escape. Oh, yeah. Into the ninja? No, the bridge on the river cry. Oh. Next guest was going to be, you know, like body of evidence or something. Like, oh, wait, that's not for another year. <laughs> I just kept thinking, and Hitler had no balls at all. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the World War II drama from 1957. Director David Lean's Oscar-winning Prisoner of War classic has everything. 
Alec Guinness stars as a stiff upper lip British colonel whose men are forced by their Japanese captors to build a bridge for the notorious Burma Railway. William Holden co-stars as a brash American prisoner with Sesue Hayakawa as uh, the prison camp's commandant, who's brilliant too. Then over on Channel 10, we've got a 1986 Australian romantic drama called The Umbrella Woman. <laughs> Warner Key says this is a good alternative for those who have seen Channel 9's 8.30pm blockbuster. So how's that? He's dissing, he's dissing something that's uh, in, on another channel as well. Uh, it is an undervalued and extremely well-acted Australian movie starring Rachel Ward as a bored and rather frisky outback wife who falls for a, for a newcomer in town played by Sam Neill. <laughs> bored uh, and rather frisky. <laughs> Ward's real-life husband, Brian Brown. Yeah, well, I, uh, Sam Neill I don't mind, but, uh, yeah, Ward's real-life husband, Brian Brown, pr- plays a rather dim-screen husband, and we all know what uh, Tony Martin <laughs> thinks about Brian Brown. Yeah. Rather dim. So they actually agree on that point. (laughs) I think so, yeah. Then SBS, again, it's another black and white film that I'm going to read this description of and I have no idea what it actually is about. It's a, a film called The Bridge, a 1959 German anti-war drama nominated for an Oscar this story of seven schoolboys conscripted by Hitler in the dying days of the war to defend to the death a relatively unimportant bridge from American tanks will make you shudder. Starring Fritz Wepper and Franz Glaubrecht. That's quite a famous film, isn't it? Isn't there an amazing scene where the truck with the loaded ammunition is sort of trying to get across this bridge? It's a really cool bit of film, I think. Give us a call. <laughs> Call that. Call that. Tell us about old movies. <laughs> what was the last time you blew up a bridge? Call us <laughs> all right, and last of all, on the ABC, the lead-in again was uh, the British comedy series Bread. With the listing uh, for the Late Show, Warnicky put final edition for 1992 of the Melbourne-produced live comedy sketch show. <laughs> yeah, again, just, he was holding just, uh, back there. Yep, no lies there. <laughs> Bit of copy and, paste, I think. <laughs> oh, well, he did type in final edition for 1992, so <laughs> yeah, right. he gets paid big bucks for those four words. Uh, then at 11 o'clock, order in the house, and at midnight, an ACD special on Rage. Oh, yes. Right. Order in the house. They're mixing it up. Well, it's question time. Now it's order in the house. All right, so let's get on with it. Cool, no problem. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Daniel. And now here we go with Season 1, Episode 20 of The Late Show, broadcast Saturday, December 12th, 1992. And we have the opening where we've got a family caravan sitting in a park kind of near a cliffside type area. Family's looking beautiful and doing their own thing until the caravan falls off the cliff. <laughs> and explodes. Yep. <laughs> yes. And it's it's a it's a rather spectacular fall of the caravan. It's like a slow motion fall of the caravan and then you see the explosion from many different angles. Like they were really prepared for this big thing. Oh, but the yes. whole thing is let down by the fact that you can see these sort of weird tram tracks that the yeah. caravan is sitting yes. on as it sort of rolls off into the cliff. And you just think this is so elaborate and it's sort of, it's failing. Like, is this the last Beatles a prick that they ever did? Like, did they leave it lie in 1992? Because I don't know I, if I like it. I think it is the, the last one out of the, the series of Beatles a prick sketches, but I, I think it might have also been maybe they were just trying to use up the last of the budget on this, <laughs> yeah. on this spectacular explosion. Yeah. 
If you don't spend mm-hmm. it, you don't get it again, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so after Beatles a prick, and gee, I bet they weren't expecting that, we have the <laughs> opening titles, we've got the opening remarks which, with a bit of a twist. So Yes, yeah, we, yeah. we have an empty stage with a Christmas tree but no Mick and Tone and then we suddenly discover them in the makeup room. I'm calling this the intro panto because it's very, <laughs> yeah. Isn't yeah. It? it's got a lot in it. So the show uh, has just started and Mick and Tony were just casually doing the stuff, getting ready for the show, not realising that they were on. And as soon as they realised they were on, they quick scarper. <laughs> One of the favourite <laughs> words that they use, just like flummox. Um, yeah, they run through the studio until Mick slips on something and tells Tony, go on. <laughs> I did appreciate Tony picking up the girls just want to have Mick's story to motivate him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had it in his pocket. He said, come on, what about this article? Mick's like, oh, I'm down, I'm down. This would never happen on the Andrew Denton show. That's what they say. <laughs> I really like that you see the route um, up from the backstage area where the makeup room is to to up up into the studio itself. And you see you see how the audience is configured. And that, I think that's the only time you actually see that. So that, that's quite a nerdy little bit. You're a good man, Mick, yeah. but you are too. Hey, Tone, one more thing. What? Make him laugh. I'll try, I'll try. <laughs> That is so great. I also love the, um, like, Commonwealth edition lino that's on the walls. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just such a government institution. It's it is. Week studio. Yeah. I think the, the, the bit I like is the, the small talk, which you, you don't quite notice uh, uh, under the applause, uh, with Mick telling Tony, I've done the same joke twice. You just changed the names. <laughs> <laughs> so after Tony makes his way to the stage, uh, then he claims that, no, he's not the man from the Where's Wally books routine, which, yeah. oh, I don't know, someone else sounded exactly like that. Uh, <laughs> Asmo, yes. Yeah, we, we've heard that before. <laughs> yes. Quite a lot, every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do quite like the, the angriness in Tony's uh, voice uh, when he's, he's uh, uh, telling this uh, punchline here. And he just says, I'm sick of people coming up to me in the street and saying, found you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that is a well-known quote. And mm-hmm. so Tony as well then goes on to a weird description or a weird line here saying that uh, if he asks anyone if they remember the kid from Willy Wonka and, and the Chocolate Factory who inflated by eating the gobstoppers, yeah. and it turns into a fat joke saying that was Laurie Oaks. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I, I have to say, I've never, I've, I've never looked at Augustus Gloop and thought that's that's Laurie Oaks. But you know, I can, I can see that they're both fat. Yeah. That's all the connection you need. Well, well yeah, Augustus Gloop is technically the one who ate the chocolate. It was the other, the other girl yeah. who ate the who ate the um, gobstopper. Oh yeah. yeah, the the um the uh, what's it? Violet Beauregard who who has the um she has the. The chewing gum or the bubble gum, yeah. and she she blows up with the bubble. But Augustus Gloop is the fat one, though. Yeah. He's fat yeah. already. Yeah, he's yeah, already so, fat. So, yeah, Augustus Gloop fell in the chocolate river and got stuck in the pipe on the way to the fudge room. Because he's too fat. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I it was how you stuffed that up. Yeah. Unforgivable. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was Violet Beauregard. Uh, she uh, she chewed on a three course meal chewing gum and turned into a blueberry and sort of mm-hmm. yeah, inflated up and all that. Then it was Veruca Salt who disappears down a garbage chute after climbing a machine, which judges her 
uh, whether she's a good egg or a bad egg and decides she's a bad egg and drops her. And then last of all, Mike TV, who got miniaturized. Yeah. yeah. And he had to be stretched later. So uh, Tony goes on about the cricket, which is a bit odd because, uh, you know, he, is, he loves his cricket, doesn't he? But he explains that he hates cricket on Channel 9, but, but he also does an impression of Max Walker. He's a, got the mind of a steel trap, Max Walker. I saw him on, uh, on the football on the uh, VFL, AFL now it is, grand final broadcast last year, and he, he said this. Somebody said to him, grand final, Max, what do you reckon? He went, geez, well, I tell you what, the, uh, the grand final, it's a big day for football. <laughs> Well, thanks for that, Max. Uh, checks in the mail. Thanks very much. Nicely done. I, I'm sceptical that Tony Martin ever watched the football because he, he, he didn't watch the cricket. He didn't watch the football. I, I, what's going on here? It's like he's trying out a new set. Like, it's like a tryout. Yeah. Tony yeah. Martin. Yeah. yeah he's, he's doing, it's a series of one-liners, this this routine, isn't it? And and possibly some of the jokes are mixed, and which, of course, I think is why he suddenly hits the red button, as it were, with the next bit of this routine. Well, I was going to say, uh, with the Max thing, it did remind me of uh, Tony as well doing a Max Walker impression two years later on Martin Malloy. No, wait, make that three years. And two hundred bucks. Mate, I'll tell you what, I remember back in 73, the oh, first time yeah. I saw a pack of three pack of yeah, CDs. three pack, yeah. I had that three pack <laughs> in my hands. I can't yeah. it in from the rain weekend. I was in the subcontinent, <laughs> I had the big red cherry, and all I could think about was the three pack of CDs. I tell you what. <laughs> I love that. It's like they're having a little competition with themselves. Like, who can sound more like Max? Well, that, that was the episode where Max Walker actually came on the show to promote his book uh, and in board games. It was <laughs> alligators. So they had three Max Walkers in the studio. the difference. Well, you know, on the, I believe it will be the Brown album towards the end where that kid was singing uh, Martin Malloy to Advance Australia Fair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think, fellas? That's you know, right. it was right at the very end. That, on that Martin Malloy. Yeah, yeah that, was. that was actually a, a caller trying to do a Max Walker impression. And that, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a lot better if, if he'd start with, I tell you what. <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think, I think Tony Tony has, has <laughs> unlocked the, the key to a good Max Walker impression in that you have to start with, geez, well, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that made me think the setup was a bit dubious was, didn't he say it was he was watching the AFL on grand final day? And isn't that notoriously the day Tony Martin goes to the cinemas? Cause <laughs> As uh, you mentioned, Alison, uh, Tony didn't feel right without Mick, so he calls upon the emergency sidekick, Philip Brady. Oh, what a show we've got tonight, folks. We've got the Commercial Crime Stoppers Awards for you. Yep. We have the Countdown Classics mm-hmm. to look forward to. There's Graham and the Colonel. That's yep. The oldies finale. That's, That's, That's the one. That's the one. Oh, my God. Officer, it's him, Philbo. Phil Brady, he left this lying menacingly in the hallway. <laughs> Didn't you, Phil? Oh, Mick. I told Graham Kennedy warned me about this. He said, Mick, you're doing all right. it, you're making your mate right, on right, Mick. What I you confess, doing for? What Mick, you doing for, Phil? I confess, it's true, Mick, it's true. But it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened. I can't believe it. Oh. Thanks. Take it. Phil Coming from the ceiling and doing his routine. Oh, he'd been waiting for 22 weeks. He'd yeah. been waiting there. <laughs> 
He, he was up there with that woman who was in Countdown with the blonde hair. You know, he's also also hanging around up there. <laughs> the, the lighting catwalk. But, yeah, because, yeah, Mick accused uh, Phil of uh, leaving a banana in the hallway. That's how he slipped. I like the way he was up there for 22 weeks, which is two weeks longer than the series actually ran. Ah. <laughs> so he was up there for rehearsals as well. Like, oh. Hang on, hang on. A bit of pedantry here. Here's a bit here. of pedantry here. Oh. Pedantry. Yeah. Yeah, they did have two weeks off where they had best of specials. Oh. So, yeah. so 20 original episodes in the space of 22 weeks. What did I do in those two weeks? It makes me think that we were all bereft while we were waiting for it to come back. I think you were watching the best of special, yeah. surely. Yeah. So I remember I hadn't watched uh, some of the early episodes, so seeing these best ofs, I actually saw some footage that I hadn't seen before, so I was really excited and I had them on tape. Maybe I'll put yeah. them on eBay someday. No, wait. <laughs> yeah, I, I, thought <laughs> best of, I thought they were over summer, but they must have um, no. eaten some. Now it's time for the news desk with Tommy G. And straight off to the bullet points uh, with Boris Yeltsin trying out uh, Russia's new long-distance phone system. And it just shows that Boris is on the phone to someone who's just uh, <laughs> down in front of him a railway. Eye tests to be made compulsory for all train drivers. Now, because... They show a shot of a train hanging off the edge of a bridge. That's in Melbourne. It's in, uh, I think, Richmond. I want to say Victoria Street, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. But, yeah, it's it was a notorious sort of spot where they park trains overnight and someone got on the train and decided to give it a go and, yeah, nearly backed it over onto the road. H- hang on, somebody Ooh. took a train out for a joyride? <laughs> no, no, I think, I think, and this is me being careful because I'm a train nerd. Um, but I think like, <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> we need the taking a Pelham 123 is your theme now, Tony. And that's as far as it goes. Um, no, I think it was like an official Metro or whoever it was back then, train driver, who just got in and bunged it in reverse or something. I think it, I don't think it was a, a an attempted train theft, though it might have been. <laughs> it, was, it was Mick with his shit-scared hat on. <laughs> Come on, everybody, get happy. I, I reckon amongst our listeners there will be one person, at least one person, who's a, who's a train nerd who will know the answer to this. So write in and tell us what the deal yeah, was. Yeah, it was an actual... Like biggish deal, well, for train nerds, it was so yeah, someone <laughs> much more than I do now. With Steve Waugh bowling his last full toss, and they show a body of uh, quote, war unquote, with a stump lodged in his back. So, uh, yeah, a, a cricket <laughs> joke, yep. Um, and Prince Charles wastes no time searching for a new wife with Charles chatting up old ladies. To be fair, he, he did end up marrying an old lady, well, you know, someone his own age, anyway. <laughs> So now the news in detail, and American Marines arrive in Somalia as part of Restore Hope, and they arrive by sea craft with one casually looking sea sick, which they, oh, this is more yeah, or less, it was a lot, yeah, very visual, just he's describing each little out-of-context news clip, really. Because they, they did like the full military invasion, but the media were just waiting for them on the beach. Yeah. They could have just <laughs> driven down the road. There was no, it was just this weird sort of, hey, we're going to get our landing craft onto the beach and here we are storming Somalia and everyone's there like, well, what are you doing? 
Yeah, it was like, thank you, Captain Obvious. You draw attention to it. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about how the food uh, was going to be supplied as well <laughs> by the end of the next week. Uh, they had to have three McDonald's restaurants established. Yeah. The unpronounceable Indian town of... Ayodhya. ...was rocked by violence, and a group of troublemakers interrupted an outdoor performance of Razid and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's some sort of a riot footage and yeah, some sort of a political address gathering kind of thing. Again, I, I, now, now that we've uh, seen that uh, Green Guide article, yeah, it's it's that too far away principle. Yeah. yeah, and also it, it was it was um, religious violence though, wasn't it? it? There was a lot of um, Hindus versus Muslim sort of ethnic violence at, at that time in India, and, and in fact there still is really. Um, but certainly there was a lot in the early nineties. Yeah. It just goes, which is which is not funny. <laughs> we had very little Indian migration in Melbourne at the time, so yeah, we're really flippant about it. But there's no way you would do that now, and it would be easy to make a phone call and say, "How do you actually pronounce that town?" Like Ayodhya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not that. <laughs> All of this riot footage is just pretty much there for for Tom to joke that. Uh, uh, the anti-riot squad didn't have time to iron their pull, their bulletproof vest. It looks like they're sort of wearing some sort of a quilted thing. They look like cricket pads. I was surprised. They do, yes. Yeah. All right. Now, Boris Yeltsin wanted his ally Igor Gadar installed as PM, but Congress ignored his passionate speech as they were all listening to the cricket. Now, uh, yeah. political man of the year for services to Australian comedy and the Late Show News Desk Award goes to Victorian Premier Jeff Kennett. And yes, Rob is Jeff Kennett, and they just have a bit of a chat, really. You've been Premier now for two months. Tell us, what, what's been the best side of the job? Apart from riding in the car with the flag on the bottom. Yeah, apart from that. <laughs> that's, that's a good bit. Mm, yeah. Premier? Apart you get to that. ride in the car with the flag on the bottom. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Apart from that, what's been the <laughs> Which is your car, Mr Premier? Mm. Mine's the one with the flag on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> that always comes I out. I love it that that's the, that's the joke. Yeah. There's not much other material, mm. that's it. Yeah, and there's something to do oh, with that. Oh, come on, Nancy. come on. There's, there's one very, very what? good joke, which is Tom says, some people have called you a fascist, even a Nazi. And Kenneth replies, well, people used to say that about Hitler, didn't they? And that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant joke. That is a, yeah. that, it's and so he funny. And with the Nazi salute, though. And he yeah. tries to yeah. push it down with his other arm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Again, evo- evoking Dr. Strangelove in that. Bit, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. I think that stuff yeah. is actually a little bit triggering, though, because it was very true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's it's just it it's, a, it's, it's a top notch impression from Rob and some top notch makeup with the the long chin and the the squinty eyes and it's, yeah. it's just brilliant. It's such a classic late show sketch because you've got the silly ongoing joke about the flag on the bonnet, which is which is I suppose a really trivial joke, but but still very funny. And then you've got something which seems silly, which is the fascist Nazi bit. But it's actually really very, very satirical. So, so they're they're quite good at doing sort of unobvious satire. You know, like there'd been a lot of really obvious hard satire in the preceding years from like Max Gillies and people like that. 
but this is this is a really soft satire that you don't notice and and it's sort of made palatable by the silly jokes that surround it that is so true and i feel like a lot of that because kenneth came in you know while this show was running and it was like they just made some really subtle digs that were really quite poignant in a way like i i don't know if it was a week before but tony was talking about how um phil cleary was a teacher in victoria and he's like what? No, surely there's no teachers in Victoria. And that was really, really a cutting jot because it was like there were schools getting shut down, hospitals getting shut down. And so, yeah, their satire is incredibly well hidden. Mm. There was the article in um, Who magazine, which I put on the uh, Facebook page, which was my first kind of uh, really introduction to the the DGEN's background because I hadn't um, been aware of some of their radio work prior to that. Um, but Tony Martin, he's just, he's so modest. He's saying, I think that people think there must be some philosophy, but nah, the extent of the thinking is let's dress up as the four kinsmen and sing cop killer. And they're just <laughs> saying, oh, we just, you know, we just do things for um, people our age. And he's saying, you know, all the critics are saying they're into, um, that the critics are saying, oh, we're doing sketches about REM and Ice Tea. We're doing this show for people our age. That's what Ma- uh, Tony was saying. And it's just, it's just a really interesting um how they, yeah, they really have that satire down pat, but they, they're just so blasé about it. They're like, oh, we're just doing whatever. <laughs> but they are very clever, very, very clever. But it is, I, th- I think I think why he stresses that in, in articles at the time is that there was this generational shift in ABC comedy from that sort of more intellectual, hard satire of Gillies and, and the Dingo Principle and stuff like that in, into something that, that's more youthy and, and is about what's happening on the live scene you know, in Melbourne in particular. So you've got the big gig and, and the late show big examples of that that sort of younger attitude. And and that's what it is. It's a generational shift which is happening at around that time. I was going to say the article said um, it, it was actually the most popular show for people under 40 on the ABC. The shift in a way was that a lot of the older satire was kind of in a way content to just point things out. They would just, you know, you would have a character that was like, here's a snooty upper-class person, and the joke was that they were presenting someone who was snooty and upper-class, whereas with The Late Show, they always made sure there was a joke. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. here's Jeff Kennett and he's a Nazi. It's like, here's Jeff Kennett and he's obsessed with a car with a flag on a bonnet. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Oh, and by the way, he's kind of a Nazi. I wonder if that sh- that sort of hiding the satire in the, you know, in the spoonful of sugar kind of thing is is because of us. Were we a little bit, were we rejecting that older school of satire? You know, like we were like, oh, they're mm-hmm. daggy, don't want to watch the, what was it, the three men and the baby grand or whatever it was. The it baby was, grand. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Like we weren't watching that shit. That was daggy, you know, but like... <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, though, about the flag on the bonnet joke, the flag on the bonnet joke really is is a joke about pomposity, and and Kenneth, as well as being a sort of fascist and Nazi, in quotations, he he was also a very pompous figure. You know, he he was he was he was a patrician guy who was just saying, no, you don't need these schools and hospitals. This is going to be better for you if we follow these these business principles, these right wing business principles, and that, you know, so there is. It, it's it's hidden in there, but it's definitely there. They're definitely angry about it. Now, 
the Prince and Princess of Wales announced their separation and Diana will keep busy meeting people, wearing silly hats and keeping florists in business. Prince Charles will join the cast of The Late Show. <laughs> they show footage of Charles <laughs> pulling back a curtain rope and uh, a la sink the slipper. It's a reworking of Charles having to open buildings and pull back the little curtain to reveal the plaque with his name. Uh, that, that's yeah. what the joke is. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. A, a great joke that, you you know, it flies by. It's just like, there you go. Yeah, you know, yep. in a blink of an eye. Now we've got a product recall, and the target Christmas tree lights are in trouble. So some globes can overheat, and Tommy G decides to try it on a tree that they've got on display next to his desk, uh, the one that they just happened to prepare earlier. And as he turns on the lights, the lights are spell piss off Santa. <laughs> also, it's it's it sounds like it's still sizzling like halfway into the next sketch. You can sort of hear the consternation between Tom and the audience as to there's something going on off screen, but we, we don't quite know what. It will be the sparklers. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, guess what? It's your boyfriend, Prue. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or the person, uh, uh, John Singleton, uh, still in hot in the hot seat over his beer ad campaign from last episode, uh, which was Eagle Bitter, and it's dubbed racist, sexist, dated, anti-women, etc. And they crossed to Singo, which is John. Well, we've got <laughs> Mr Singleton online now. Uh, call me Singo, you bastard. <laughs> All right, well, Singo, do you... Uh, no, Singo, you bastard. What are you, a pofter or something? <laughs> Such an attractive man. He, he looks just like Les Patterson. Yeah, I was going to say. I've literally yeah. copied the makeup and costume from Les Patterson. <laughs> the mannerisms to some extent, too. Yeah. 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 I like the way they called up John Harrison for this, though, because he's got that really quintessential Australian twang character. Like, really. There's no one else that can do it as like him. <laughs> yeah. And they talk about how the ad was out of context and uh, he demands for the ad to be played in full and so they do that which has got unflattering images of men with beer guts tackle out drunk and even a, a twitching liver but all to the that's a beer drinking bloke and and that's a beer drinking liver yeah, yeah i i wonder what department in the abc do you have to get to get the footage of like people holding a six pack of vb taking a beer shower yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, uh, like you couldn't Google like, that stuff. Like even even though it's VB, that's a waste of beer, in my opinion. Oh, you, and this from a cider ABC. drinker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the ABC every six months or so would be off to whatever the 1992 version of Schoolies Wick was to get a bunch of food. Yeah. yeah. Youth gone those, wild. Stories. All of those um, bachelor and spinster ball things in the country. Like oh, the those BNS, BNS, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, well, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some rather harrowing sort of footage later on of uh, a guy getting his pulse checked after just having spewed, I reckon. Oh, that's a beer drinking bloke. Yeah. That, 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 that did not oh look God. like you. That looked like an intestine that was coming out of his mouth. It was hideous. Oh, and on that, we'll move on to <laughs> yeah. that's the end of the yeah. news desk. I just want to say that it was funny that John Harrison's teeth kind of moved. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Like, oh, again. <laughs> again, ex- exactly what would happen with Les Patterson where, where the teeth would bury up with the teeth and become... Anyway. And that's the only bit which has made it to the best dog videos as well. Yeah, of that yes. interview bit, yeah. Now we have a sketch where it's uh, Doctor Who and it is the Tom Baker era of Doctor Who. 
So uh, Rob oh, as Doctor Who. Love this. Yep. And uh, Tony and Rob, it's probably the best sketch that they ever did together. <laughs> wow. High praise. <laughs> yeah. They, they pretty much call out every cliche movement of a sci-fi series, especially Doctor Who. My God, Doctor, you've been hit. Don't worry, Brigadier. I'm a Time Lord. As soon as I get killed, I simply regenerate into a completely different person. <laughs> Good old Peter Russell Clark. It was a really great impression by Rob, though, actually. He had these, some real nuances of the Tom Baker, like just the way he held himself. Does anyone know what I mean? Like, am I being too much yeah. Doctor Who nerd in this moment? The Tom Baker era was like 10 years in the past at this point. So he's, he'd done well to hang on to the memories. Well, Rob, yeah. Rob gets his impression skills from Rocky the Pine King. Did Rocky the Pine King ever do a Doctor Who? Because, you know, <laughs> that would have been. Peter Russell Clark, I saw him on, on an ad on TV yesterday promoting fry pans. That's what he does now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. yeah. He's the... very less mobile and sprightly as he was, but he's, he's still there promoting stuff and yeah he was still alive still alive referencing the the original kind of you know tv chef come and get it Uh, and where's the cheese (laughs) (laughs) did he say where's the cheese no he didn't say that for our generation don't you think like very much loved like as much loved as inspector gadget or the goodies or monkey magic there's peter russell clark yeah like he's a legend have you seen the blooper reel? Oh, yeah. I think, everyone, oh, every Australia, I think it's part of the actual curriculum of anything to do with Australia. Part <laughs> of the citizenship yeah. kind of question. It, it, should, it should be on the citizenship test. Yeah. yeah. It ends off going into a whole Tony tangent, I guess, because it's uh, <laughs> Doctor Who, piss take of Wuthering Heights and... <laughs> The singing in the rain routine as well, all with Daleks. You could really tell it was a Tony Martin sketch once, you know, you've got this extended singing in the rain bit, which is great, but, like, there's no laughs. Everyone just watching a Dalek roam around in the rain. (laughs) I I suppose once you've bothered to build a Dalek, you kind of have to use it a bit more than in that Doctor Who piss take sketch. Well, see, this is is the thing. Do do you think that the ABC actually made those Daleks from scratch or do you think they had to contact a few nerds uh, (laughs) who might have made their own? I reckon they would have had it as a prop somewhere because it would be you know, say at ABC Studios or whatever, when they do the open house type thing, they've got to have something as a representation of Doctor Who. Because I, I know when you go to a, a Ultima or whatever, they do have the mm. the telephone booth. The Ooh, TARDIS, mm. sorry, TARDIS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They still have that. Eh? <laughs> We're really showing our lack of Doctor Who knowledge here. The, the one thing that I do know about Doctor Who, though, is that the creator of the Daleks, Terry Nation, he managed yeah. to retain copyright of the Daleks and so when they use the Daleks in, in New Doctor Who, they have to credit Terry Nation as the creator of the Daleks. I don't think Terry Nation would approve of, of the use of the, the Daleks being uh, uh, stuck and having to, to be uh, uh, taken apart by a, a big Polynesian man. <laughs> <laughs> foot, foot off the pedal wheel to the right, you're spoiling it for everyone. So next segment. Shirty, the slightly aggressive bear. Or is it? Though uh, they did have Rob and Jace uh, answer some fan mail on stage, 
uh, explaining the history of Shirty, really. And uh, Shirty was originally Percy from the ABC series Adventure Island. This is where the teaser came in. Ho, 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 ho. And that goes on for another 25, 30 seconds. So that was the theme for... <laughs> I think it's say minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so Adventure Island, and here's some pedantry for you. Pedantry. Adventure Island was created by Godfrey Philip and John Michael Housen, the star of Houseboat Horror. Wow. <laughs> so... Yeah. That's the best fact I've learnt this whole series. (laughs) (laughs) The footage of Percy, the original Shirty, being aggressive sort of blew Mm. my mind. I couldn't figure out if they'd recreated the footage or if it was real. I'd say it was one of those camera trickery things, kind of like when they walked into Jace's uh, dressing studio uh, room type thing and it was just the way it was cut. Kind of like when they do Russell Coit where they do the shaky camera. And yeah. so with Shirty or Percy, if you watch the when it does that transition type thing, it's like a quick little blur or fuzziness type thing and then it goes into Shirty beating up um, a cast member. Because it's really quite well done because the first bit that they show you is kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe that was the thing at the time. And, <laughs> yeah. But then the second one... <laughs> What children's television were you watching where brutal violence was just part of the thing at the time? <laughs> They're just going on about how Shirty won't be back next year. We yeah, didn't have any long-term contract and Shirty the aggressive bear is gone. Yep. <laughs> He's not doing his own cop show. Robbie. I can keep going. I know you can. <laughs> <laughs> a very visual bit, Matt. Yeah, I know. I just like the sound of it. But the cop show he's off to do is, in fact, Phoenix, the yeah. ABC cop yeah. drama, which is a brilliant drama, well worth getting on DVD if you can find a copy. Well, that's good to hear because I saw that bit that they had and I was like, ooh, Phoenix looks good. <laughs> but I have just told you Phoenix is great. Binge, so. Well, that shirty bit. Phoenix is great. And they eventually reveal who shirty is. That is the one and only Russell Crowe. Hando from Ropper Stomper. Yeah, it is skinhead persona. Yeah. And he, he he puts a lot of gusto into it as well. He yeah. loves it too because he does bring it up occasionally with on Twitter or anything like that. I think it was something uh, that was mentioned last year or uh, I believe it was when Jane Kennedy had tweeted how much uh, she enjoyed Russell Crowe's movie. What was the most recent one where he played the psycho driver? I want to say unhinged, but I don't think it's unhinged. Is it Unhinged? Uh, Sounds like it, yeah. Jane had said that she enjoyed Unhinged and Russell Crowe had tweeted back, Shirty loves you or misses you, so. (laughs) (laughs) He was very good in that bit, wasn't he? He was was just sort of slamming around like he was in a mosh pit or something. He was was dressed up like he was in Romper Stomper. He had the, you know, the bald head and and he was doing the... The movements, you know. He had weird Dracula blood kind of coming down his chin. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is that you can see that as an Easter egg uh, on the Best Bits DVD 
uh, if you go lurking around the uh, picture gallery, you should find a, a picture of uh, Russell Crowe and then uh, do your up, down, left, right, whatever it is, you'll see something there. Hit enter and it's right there. All right, it's time for... <laughs> and it's the final entry, final episode. Episode 20, Goodbye, Farewell and Amen, and which is pretty much a tribute to the MASH final episode. We have Warnicky. Yes, it's the guy who plays Warnicky. Uh, or, yeah, passes a letter to uh, the platform shoes mud digger. I can't remember who, what his name was or anything. Oh, he was in the credits. I should have noted that. Damn it. It's always the afterthought. Anyway, uh, so uh, it's from the ABC, the letter, and it's saying that the olden days have been axed. And while platform shoes, that's all I've written down here. Uh, oh, Terry Frugal, I think. I think it was Terry Frugal. <laughs> Sorry, the credits. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So he's relieved, and but there's a catch. And in future, you will be required to provide... Oh, what? Your own voices? <laughs> oh, no, the man's mad. That'll never work. The snippet of the real voice, again, makes yeah. me want to watch Rush. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, the, the British mad. accent. <laughs> the British accent, right? They, they all must have had British accents because they would have been recent migrants from the UK, a lot of the characters. So it'll be the accent feast. Terry Frugal, quote, quote, unquote, he actually appears in Barjas. I mean, not Barjas, Bluey. So if you want to see him in full colour and with his actual voice, he plays, I think, a criminal or something like that in one of the episodes of Bluey. It all links. It all links. It <laughs> so meanwhile, Warnicky is, uh, you know, wondering what he's going to do. Yeah, he's joining chances. <laughs> Which it's a, it's a, a, a great joke, yeah, considering he's, he's uh, just about to strip off uh, when he says that line. Well, here's, the, here's another uh, pedantry thing here, right? Pedantry. The guy who played Warnicky, Max Meldrum, he actually passed away in 1991 and chances oh. didn't happen until 1992. Oh. Yeah. So he... Missed his chance. Yeah, exactly. So his last role... Uh, in fact, you know what? He Max Meldrum, he had two different roles in Rush. In season one, he played a character called George Williams. And then in season two, when I was in colour, he played another character called Henry Purchase. There is a lot going on here with mutton chops confronting front bottom and after finding out why he was leaving. Uh, so they decide to reminisce about the good times. When he was queen of the goldfields for three years running. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you should have seen me in the swimsuit section. <laughs> I, I do, I do like like the, the joke of, of them uh, you know, reminiscing about the good times, and it's it's basically it's all of these like it's it's obvious that it's obvious that they've stitched together all of these cutaway shots when the other character's been talking, so it just makes it look like they're, they're they can't think of anything. It's a, a brilliant editing gag. And old and front bottom reminisce over the good times are. Uh such as the names that he was called behind his back, Governor Clenchybot. I love that one. One of my favourites is is they say, I quite like the simplicity of the twit, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a lovely one. And then, uh, again, sticking the boot into front bottom, uh, the one that Aldrin came up with, Chick Little Dick, but mm. apparently he had inside information. <laughs> <laughs> But he did have one request uh, as his farewell music. He wanted it something grand to reflect the enormity of the occasion. <laughs> Spanish flea. Spanish flea. Yeah. 
But the thing is, when he when he's walking down these steps towards the horse in his extremely tight trousers that show quite a lot, shall we say, um, <laughs> he, he's walking he's walking in time to Spanish flea. The way he walks down, <laughs> yeah. As he rides off into the distance, the mud diggers just cheer on and saying, "Hey, Governor Clenchy Bot's gone." That brings a fitting into the series, really. Then it goes to Mick and Tony on stage as they try to talk. Their voices have been overdubbed in real time. I was really into this bit. First of all, John Waters and Brendan Lunny come out looking pretty hot. They look pretty good. <laughs> in the costumes. Yep. There's a Men couple of hornbags coming out. <laughs> but also, um, I was thrown by the fact that Brendan Lunny came out because I thought that he kind of hated the whole piss take of oh, him. I reckon that they would have paid him something handsomely. I did try to email him a while ago for this podcast and I didn't get a response. It could be one of those things where he's, uh, his views changed back and forth over the years where, you know, it was fun at the time and then a few years later he got sick of it and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I suppose, it, you know, sort of at the time, it originally it would have thought, oh, what's this? I don't like this very much. And then the show gets really popular. It's like, yeah, okay, I'll go with this. And then, like, I guess a few years down the line, people like us are going up to him and going, oh, tell us about Front Bottom, you know, and all this. <laughs> and, and, like, he would just get people our age telling, asking him about Governor Front Bottom. <laughs> yeah, with no reference to Russ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All chances. What's What's good about this segment is that uh, Brendan and John get to, uh, you know, kick the shit out of Mick and Tony and then step out and sort of take their, their place in the spotlight, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the only thing which sort of takes away from it, I think that that part was pretty obviously pre-recorded. Oh, I don't know. Cause, well, because, like, you see... Uh, Brendan and John and Tony and Mick all, you know, take, you know, uh, Brendan and John get their flowers and all four of them take a bow. And then you also see the audience, but you don't ever see them both in the same shot together. Like, honestly, watch it back and sort of, you, 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 you tell me if you think that actually happened on that Saturday night. I don't think it did. Maybe interesting theory. Well, it is. A... They did have lovely voices. I think that mm. was the other thing. About oh, definitely. It too. They had these beautiful voices, and you're thinking, God, they've been robbed of their voices. <laughs> you really want to watch Rush, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they've got beautiful singing voices. We've got sunlight <laughs> on the sand. We've got moonlight on the sea. We've got mangoes and bananas. We can pick right off the tree. What is that from another episode of the old days? Yeah, that's from Bottom yeah. Singing South Pacific. That's right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We've got but volleyball yeah, on, on, and ping pong and lots of daddy games. Daddy games. What, we but what got, have we got? We ain't got dames. <laughs> but honestly, uh, ABC, stick it up on iView. You're making everybody sign up for uh, to, to get an account to access it now, so you might as well give us something premium in return. Yeah. Well, I'll pay more than, what. what is it, as Dan Alicia has mentioned in a previous episode that when we had him on as a guest, he mentioned that ABC... Nowadays is roughly four cents a day ish. I'm happy to <laughs> boost it up. We'll make it. Bump it up to eight, a, like we used to. A million Bitcoin a day, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. After that uh, wrap up and farewell of the olden days, there's a program guide. This was actually a show. Um, John Waters Sheepdog Trials. So that was on at 11 p.m. after the late show. And then at 11:30, John Singleton's Beard Dog Trials. Yeah, I like, I like well. John Harrison's. Um... <laughs> 
Come on, get those knickers off. Yeah. <laughs> now, Tony warns that if you're still watching, it could be worse. You could be watching keynotes. Yeah, they, they give keynotes a, a few kickings in this program, don't they? Um, I, I used to watch keynotes and, and essentially it was just a quiz hosted by Richard Wilkins about music it was on Channel 9. And, the, and so obviously, you know, it was a bit sort of Sailor Century type thing. They'd play a lot of clips um, and you'd have to say what the song was based on the clips that you'd heard. Just to let you know, uh, yeah, it, it had been going for about two weeks uh, by this episode. And, yeah, it, it had taken up uh, the 7 o'clock weeknight's position basically as a summer replacement for sale. So Tony decides to introduce their new musical piss take, and that's with Frente Accidentally Was Released. Now, guess what I got and done? <laughs> oh, what? What? I managed to uh, track down a certain someone and give them a right of reply nearly 30 years later since that. Uh, oh, wow. Ooh. All right, so be prepared to sit for about four minutes and <laughs> listen to their wonderful lead singer, Angie Hart, from Frente. She is absolutely adorable and it's such a good sport. So she decides to actually have a chat about this music clip as well as a few other things. So please enjoy. How did your original music clip come about? The video clip for Accidentally Kelly Street was um, produced by Robbie Douglas Turner, I believe. And it was our second video ever. Um, And our first one was for Ordinary Angels, which I think, you know, by by the fluke of having never done one before, it came together quite beautifully and um, then when we got to accidentally Kelly Street, I guess that's when you kind of actually have to produce something and we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and, um, I think that it quite it showed in, in that <laughs> video clip. So, yeah, I think concept-wise it was, it was a lot looser and I think as far as a band we... Um, performing we had no idea how to do video clips now you, you've watched the late show clip itself are you uh, a fan of the degeneration late show working dog people yes i was yes and am <laughs> did you watch this when it originally went to air back in 1992 i'm not sure if i saw the, the, the moment i'm not sure if i was watching the show the moment that, that it went on air but i obviously would have become aware of it quite quickly <laughs> after it after it aired. I, I may have been watching it that night. I do remember my heart sinking <laughs> by the time I, I did see it. <laughs> well, were you and the band flattered at all by it, or did you uh, were you a bit unsure about it? I don't know how everyone in the band felt about it. I, I was a lot younger than everyone else, and I was struggling pretty hard with our image at that time because we already. Yeah, Kelly Street was being thrashed on the radio and um, we were, I think, right around that time there was a title in, in a, an article in a music mag somewhere that um, labelled us as the most annoying band in Australia. Oh. And being <laughs> in my late teens, early 20s at that time, it was pretty hard to take. So um, I personally w- was quite upset by the video when it came out. I, I think... Probably some other members of the band may have been, and I also think some members would have found it quite entertaining, depending on their age. Being lampooned by that national comedy show, did it feel like that it helped reach your celebrity status even higher, or did everything become the same when that all happened? Uh, it was all like quite out of control at that stage. Like we had, it, the whole thing had skyrocketed, and and so I can't tell, you know, 
what was what, it, it was to me quite it was moving very fast and this was one of the things that happened during that time. I can see now that it was a great compliment and, and that it's awesome. Uh, but at the time, it, it just made me want to run and hide. Now, I sent you the clip of the DVD commentary of Mick. Um, yeah. <laughs> would you know if that was true at all about a certain band member's relationship falling apart due to that sketch? Um, I'll have to go and ask members of the band if that's... A- you know, it had not come to my attention. So I'm trying to think of who that would be and who, who the partner would be, but um, not that I know of. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> or not that they were aware of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you've done your live performances, have people in the audience mentioned anything like that, like uh, saying accidentally was released, just uh, highlighting the fact that they're aware of that lampooning? Uh, people do say that they loved it and did I love it and, you know, that they, they, they parallel them often because you know, I think, you know, fans of, of our band were fans of the show as well. How do you feel overall with this pop culture status that you have with this generation? How do you feel about the reaction today? It's, it's amazing that it's reached so many people and, and to go through the filter of them being parodied or lampooned and, and, and twice, you know, like... Double filter is, I guess, that really embeds it into pop culture. So that's that's a pretty amazing status to reach. <laughs> if only you know, in in cult status, it's it's a pretty big deal. Um, and and there's part of me that still cringes. <laughs> yeah. Everyone cringes at their own past. You hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's an awkward time to be in your early twenties. So you know, <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. So what are you up to right now? This very moment, I'm in lockdown and homeschooling, so that's very exciting for my fourth time this, you know, during this pandemic. So um, congratulations to Victoria <laughs> <laughs> for that. It's a big achievement. Um, and when I'm not homeschooling, I'm working on my third solo album, which I, I was hoping to record this year. We'll see how that goes. I'm on Angie Hart's music on mo- most of the platforms. So that's how you'll find me. H-A-R-T-S music. Thank you for being a great sport about this too. <laughs> Thank you. So there we go. Oh, fantastic. Oh, lovely. I love her. Thank I had you. all of the Frente CD singles, so I was a big, big fan. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, yes. oh, yeah, I've dug out my copy of Marvin the Album and I really liked Frente and, and particularly Accidentally Kelly Streak, but... To my surprise, when I moved to the UK about 20 years ago, I I met people my own age who also knew who Frente were. And, and I think they obviously had a bit of success um, in this country, at least anyway, and probably, probably other ones as well. But I think it might partly have been driven by the fact that they were on Home and Away in 1993. Um, you might remember that they, w- they were playing at the surf club, Frente, and the, the famous character of Angel... Uh, appeared at the same time as Frente were on and and she she was bootlegging tickets to the Frente gig in the surf club and and that that's how the Shane and Angel story began but that's that's a slight segue um well really really brilliant to hear from Angie Hart though and and you know I thought it was really interesting actually just like recently there's been all these stories about Naomi Osaka feeling the pressure of of being a young person in the spotlight and Angie kind of hinted slightly at that about how at that age, it's really, really hard to cope with the media and the pressure. And, and so that that's kind of how she reacted to this parody at the time, which I totally get. 
But, you know, people never talked about mental health back in the 90s. So obviously there was something going on there a little bit with her. As she said on her socials and stuff, her say her Twitter account is Angie Hart Music, H-A-R-T. Send her a tweet, say that you heard her on the podcast. And, um, yeah, she is a great sport and was more than willing to have a chat. So thank you again, Angie. Uh, for the yeah. for the chat, yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah. I, I did ask her as well about uh, a future rendition by a certain someone in season two, but you'll have to wait for that episode to find out what she has to say about it. So there's some future sizzle. There's a little bit more left. Here's a door and here's a window. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long-term sizzle too. I, I forget what episode that uh, other rendition of the song is in, but, yeah, that's not for a while. Yeah, so make sure you yeah. keep subscribing to mm. this podcast and you'll hear it when that comes up. So, yeah, mm. that is definite yeah. sizzle. I think it's it's really interesting. Now she's got the hindsight and time has has passed. She's she can say, oh yeah, that was actually quite good. But as you say, Alison, it's a lot of pressure for someone. I didn't realize she was so young at the time that she was. Yeah, me neither. Early twenties, and and I just I just thought, wow, that's 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 amazing. Um, and she did so much. It was just they were just just such a huge band. They had the Audrey Angel, Angels, and then they had the this one and Bizarre Love Triangle. That yeah, that massive band. Um, but do, we haven't discussed the actual video clip. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. we need means, to talk please. about this. So much to say about it. They clearly had three distinct dickhead personas for the background guys. <laughs> yeah. Sort of had Mick going nuts and Tony sort of being all right and then Santo just sort of staring off into the distance. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Long hair. You can go onto YouTube and you can see the real video clip. And and I was I was looking particularly at the guy with the long hair and he was obviously the one who wasn't very enthusiastic about doing the crazy dancing and stuff. So in all of the shots, he's in the background and he's he's sort of kind of sarcastically trying to join in, but he's you can tell he's really not that into it. Whereas the, the guy that Mick played in the parody, he is really, really going for it. He's going off his nut just dancing around. <laughs> And, and you know, so the parody is really good. I mean, in some parts it's almost a shot-for-shot shot recreation of the actual <laughs> real play. But, but yeah, the, the observation they make about the long-haired guy who's barely in the actual real clip is, is just perfect. It's fantastic. It was and, so interesting to hear what Angie Hart was saying about her reaction at the time because, actually, I think that really strongly paralleled, and I can't speak for all of us, but I will speak for myself and my friends, really strongly paralleled how we felt because Frente was a band for us. You know, it was a young mm. Melbourne band and we fucking loved it, you know. And I think the parody on The Late Show was a little bit like, oh, what are you doing? Like it was, it was, <laughs> it I, was I think, yeah. the only I, I, time I, we thought they were being a bit unfair. Because nah, see, I, I'm, I'm going to speak up for the other Melbourne crew <laughs> where we were just like, oh, God, Frente again. And me and my <laughs> suburban fans, friends were all just like, yeah, sink the boot in. Ugh, Frente. <laughs> Well, see, I, I, reckon, I reckon the reason why uh, the D-Gen stuck the boot in uh, sort of uh, a, a bit similar to why they, they put the boot into Aching Breaky Heart, uh, the previous episode, I think might have been down to basically ubiquity. You know, like yeah. the, like those songs Number were basically one. everywhere. Oh. Mm. 
Yeah, you really couldn't couldn't avoid it. it. Yeah, exactly. I did my work experience at Smash Hits magazine in 1992, just so just a few months prior to this, and um, the two other girls who were also doing work experience were transcribing, ordering angels for the song words section. I always thought they were provided with the lyrics, but these girls were actually had the tape and they were rewinding it and typing out all these all these lyrics, which I actually didn't know the words to and, and I thought, oh, actually maybe they don't know the words to. <laughs> <laughs> that explains why they were sometimes wrong. If you got a James Rain song, you'd never get the right <laughs> No one would ever know if you got them wrong. Well, well, I was going to say at the time that this episode went to air, accidentally Kelly Street uh, was in the ARIA charts at, sitting at number four. So they were – Climbing up, so that was their highest position at the time that that episode went to air. And if I have a quick look at uh, the week after that, it was still number four. So I didn't do any. Not damage. till the next episode, Kim. Not till the next. Episode. But you know what was sitting at number one? Yeah. I know, sorry, but but that was the week after. The week before that was Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. Yeah, that was a very ubiquitous song at the time. If you want proof of how old we are, let's go to the next segment. Yes. The view is magnificent. You're far up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Gavin Wood, and we have Countdown Classics. Are we too old old to bar up? Oh, goodness gracious. But, yeah, this is Jane and Tom just wrapping up Christmas presents and presenting a best of Countdown Classics. Now, yeah. I did get Gavin Wood's opinion on the segment. In 1992, The Late Show highlighted bits and pieces with a segment called Countdown Classics. Now, did you manage to catch a glimpse of it when it was on TV? I know that Tony Martin uh, liked liked some Countdown. Tony Martin got into Housebreak Horror as well. God love him. And I, I, loved, I loved all those guys. They were so funny. And Jane Kennedy, that was such a great mix of people. All they do is recap everything that they've played from the last few episodes of Countdown Classics, really. How are you, dollface? <laughs> I also wrapped up some nice Christmas presents for each other. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I, I liked the bit where um, one of the pre- Christmas presents was Yardley Potto Gloss, which is <laughs> yes. some lip, lip balm, basically. And it reminded me of the fact that early 90s, if you were a girl, every Christmas or birthday you would get at least one pot of body shop lip gloss. Yes, <laughs> there was there was one Christmas early in 1992 when I think I got three pots of body shop lip gloss. <laughs> <laughs> that particular Yardley pot of gloss was called Blue Boo. <laughs> ah, so Blue. is that what uh, Jane was going on about with the blue? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, all the ladies would wear the blue. And that's what you tweeted out. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well done, Prue. <laughs> Jane, this is for you. Oh. Thank God, I open it. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll never guess, but it, it, it's you, I promise. Oh, shark's tooth necklace. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what have you got for me? Oh, here you go, Tom. I hope you like it. It's a Starsky jacket. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this will never go out of fashion. This is fantastic. Jane, oh, look, I'm a bit excited. There is one other thing i really like to give you for Christmas. What, Tommy? A love bite. See, see again, this contributed to my theory that Tom and Jane were an item and we know that they weren't, but there are so many hints at this. They really threw it off and sent, didn't they? They really did. Yeah, he couldn't get it at the Greyhound, so he waited to count down classics. (laughs) 
and and weirdly she wasn't like totally going she actually kind of let him lunge in on her (laughs) again putting us off the scent yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's time for shit scared and wow this is a a Big one, really. This is probably one of the most expensive stunts that they've done for this. Rob and Mick are tired from doing all the stunts uh, because they were doing a lot of them all night for Brides of Christ 2. Uh, AKA nuns and buns. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds pretty dangerous. I'm scared. Just scared. Scared. Just scared. Don't say the other word. (laughs) Paul Keating's asked us not to say abusive language. Nah, can't say shit. I know that means. You said shit. Oh, you've been have you noticed um, that Tony Martin is coming up yes. behind them? Yes. 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 This much of Tony, like a <laughs> partition, covered in the lower half of his body. All you can see is his eyes and his forehead. Uh, so the stunt is Rob being tied to buses by the arms and being pulled either side. Shenanigans galore with whiteboards and being on location doing wacky bits to buses. I like the um, Rob doing real maths on the uh, whiteboard. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's how, how, is, it, is, is it real or is it just a, a bunch of well, mathematical Well, it certainly uses real bits and bobs that I remember from maths. <laughs> Real maths numbers and equations and shit. Yeah. All I know is sin, cos and tan. That's it. Yeah. Or sine, there cos was, and tan. Oh. There was a few functions in there. <laughs> Quadratic equations. All right, I'll take your word for it. So other than the whiteboard accident uh, and the buses that are provided by Mick, all the bus jokes that you can find available with this one, really, <laughs> such as trying to drive in a spike and smashes the window, Rob getting his head smashed uh, between the door. But this one thing I will pull up, that is Rob reveals that the buses are for a stunt being filmed for On the Buses Down Under, with Grant Dodwell playing Butler because Reg Varney had passed away. Wrong! Reg Varney passed away in 2008. Head and Remember Aaron Beaucaire on the commentary says that the buses were got from the Sitch Bus Company. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when uh, my friend and I used to dare each other to ring all the Sitches in the phone book that we saw <laughs> the Sitch Bus Company. <laughs> they were the ones to ring. Yeah. So after all that um, and even Mick, trying to do an impression of Ruben Kincaid. So, come on, everybody, get happy. And, <laughs> and he hits uh, himself in the head. <laughs> yes. Introduces his brother, Herb, as one of the other drivers, and there was a uh, sign on the back of the bus saying that uh, <laughs> Mick was missing. How long has it been since you've called your mother? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually the stunt happens and Rob ends up being crushed by the buses. It's, it's spectacular. Oh, the, the other uh, uh, line I like out of this is just before that uh, punchline uh, where Rob says, I'm not afraid of rope burn. I'm afraid of having my arms ripped off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I also like the bit where Rob says, um, Nick, I'm a great supporter of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favourite is just the visual bit with Nick and the tape measure. <laughs> They're trying to measure how, how long he has to go. <laughs> How far from that is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Great finale, two buses smashing into each other. Cool. Amazing. And now we're back to Prue's boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What does he say? Copper squiz at me latest. Copper squiz at me latest. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. I, I like also how, how he describes himself as a man of the 90s, which is a, a, a phrase that, 
you know, was very popular in the 90s. People talking about, well, you know, because this is the 90s, you know, yeah. and l- like it was some vastly different decade to any other. Well, I mean, it was, but you know what I mean. So Singer goes on about how he doesn't use sex to sell products, etc. So he doesn't make just beer ads. And then he goes into... Copper squeeze at me latest. And <laughs> shows a... Such a good ringtone. If someone could just sort that out for me. Copper squeeze at me latest. There we go. Splice it. Put it into your phone. Will do. And the other thing about the undos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so we see about 10, 15 seconds of a scantily clad woman... Oh, it bed. felt like much longer than that. Oh, okay. oh, <laughs> really it's so awkward watching this. <laughs> and it reveals to be the Christian Television Association. So, yeah, yeah. and that's on the DVD. Yeah, although with uh, different music to uh, to what's on IVHSs. Yes, we get we, we we get a nice little lick of John Lee Hooker in the broadcast mm. version. Coming to town. Yep. In fact, someone on, that- on the DVD. Had something uh, just generic production music. It definitely wasn't water sports. Probably <laughs> yet another one of the reasons why I don't like the best bits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we have commercial crime stoppers, and Santo and Mick do a different presentation of commercial crime stoppers. They have the Copper Crazy Awards, and they have Madonna from the Kent Bruce ads uh, presenting or helping present some of the awards, and such as well. There's only actually one really. What's <laughs> The most ludicrous performance in a late night commercial, and they actually have the people in as well. What they could get oh, anyway. Brilliant! So, I cannot believe they got these news people. News. <laughs> Anything to well, what, what else were they doing? Yeah. What else were they doing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The phone wasn't exactly running off the hook. Well, Tony White had an entire business to run. He must have had something to do on a Saturday night. <laughs> he was going on a date to, with his pencil. He had to drive his pencil down to Elstonwick. <laughs> so we, the most ludicrous performance in the late night commercial you have tony white for the tony white big pencil commercials then you also had the big pencil from the tony white big pencil commercials yeah the, the dog from the pet trainer commercial which i think is charlie yeah, yeah. yeah. i think it is too yeah uh and or ellie, or ellie one or ellie, of them yeah uh, the loony guy from the car city commercial and, and he's uh, actually in the studio. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got so much more hair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even more. Later. As well as the wacky waiter from the Gourmet Revolution commercial. And that uh, also, played by Jason. Jason. Yeah, that's, that's Jason. Jason yeah. Yeah. yeah, but also Mick explains. Before we go on, Sandra, I'm sorry, I should just explain the, uh, the copper crapper. Is uh, 100% uh, crazy. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the copper, the copper looks like it was made by a copper crapper, but. Uh... <laughs> shut up. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was so funny, that bit. <laughs> and they do reveal the winner, and that is Ted Witten in the Motorola commercial. Well, thanks, fellas. I'd like to thank Nick and Sandy for this tremendous honour. Because when it comes to crappy late night advertising, I know they mean business. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way Ted Witt really bashes that down on the table. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't get also, it in just- the studio. You had to be by sunlight from LA somewhere fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he? He says he says Nick. It sounds like it says he says Nick instead of Mick. I'll play it again. Hold on, hold on. 
Well, yeah. thanks, fellas. I'd like to thank Nick and Sandro for this tremendous... Yes. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. What a but before they wrap up, here's another ringtone grab for you. Madonna, baby! What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this bit. I love the way when uh, Ken Bruce has come out as Madonna and he's gone... And giving them a full tongue bash or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone into the rope and, and Mick's just gone, too much woman. <laughs> Do you notice, like, throughout this sketch, how Madonna's kind of hanging around in the background being the sort of girl one? But but Ken Bruce, as Madonna, kind of keeps e- trying to edge into shot to make sure that he's promoting his crappy business. You know, would be surprised if he had a few <laughs> ads to sell in that moment. Oh, definitely, especially yes. being on the ABC. I also love the way Santo, uh, when he was talking about the, the copper crapper, <laughs> when Santo goes, it's guaranteed to dint. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've finally got a news desk update, well, kind of, and that's uh, Tommy G presenting the wrap-up of the year with a whole bunch of news personalities, really, and especially uh, Paul Lynham, or Rob as Paul Lynham. He's just whinging on about being stuck behind the desk for the same fucking background. And was yeah, Paul Lynham that sassy? He was a bit feisty. Yeah, a little yeah. yeah, back in the day, he was kind of... He wasn't the ABC attack dog, but he was, he was sort of the narkier one of, you know, the, the bevy of late-night current affair hosts. Mm. He, he was in the same sort of league as Andrew Rowley, I think. Yes, yes. But he does mention, what about the other presenters out there, like Peter Harvey? Well, not much has happened in federal politics today, so why am I here? Well, I guess I just enjoy getting out, standing in front of Parliament House and saying in a deep, slow voice, Peter Harvey. (laughs) This is a a perfect example of of what they're talking about in in the Green Guide article where, uh, like, there was no sort of biting political satire in here. It was just about, you know, Paul Lynham uh, resenting being stuck behind the desk and, you know, uh, mapping off on the other news presenters, you know, saying, you know, why don't they force-feed Laurie Oaks, for instance? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, why, do, why, does Jim, why does Jim Whaley get two shows? Got a cut that can count. That's two shows I have. <laughs> the deep has he said it? Uh, Matt, has he said it yet? There we go. <laughs> hey. It I felt to that. me like this was like Tommy G had spent, you know, 20 weeks watching all the news for clips and had built up this sort of knowledge or awareness of the various hosts and just decided to get it out in a sketch. Yeah. <laughs> and then put the boot into keynotes and Richard Wilkins again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I do just want to mention Tony Martin as Peter Harvey in this. I know it's a classic sort of vocal gag. But he also looks hilarious. Like he's sort of, he's got these weird bug eyes. Yeah. French coat on. (laughs) And it's just one of those ones where Tony is visually hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Now we have a commercial, which this one, it's just more or less a piss take of Singo. That's a beer drinking bloke. Because that well, yeah, it was a domestic violence ad. Yeah. yeah we'll move I on think that was a real ad, wasn't it? That it was a real ad and then they paused it and they put that little tag on it. This is another example of one of those sort of hard satire jokes being hidden in, in a kind of silly joke. 
Yeah. You know, it, mm. they're, make, they're making a really good point here about Singo's ads sort of, you know, and the, the correlation between hard drinking and domestic violence. And, oh, I'm being far too serious for our final show, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a yeah. good example yeah. of that sort of subversion of that whole beer drinking bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah, yeah. The way it's positioned in the the show as well, they kind of build up to it with all mm. the sort of the light singo stuff early on, yeah. and then you sort of finish yeah. the, the run of singo with this at the end that really kind of hits home. This is what's really going on with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Oh, this is how Jane responded. Yes, and that's the kind of beer drinking man I'd love to come home to. In full sarcasm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but Jane was there to introduce the toilet break and a clip that's from the Peter Regan show and where we would love to see, well, not me, but people would love to see inside of a men's footy locker room with Graham Blundell, uh, Terence Donovan and George Mallaby. Yeah. Then I thought about the game. The game, the game. Oh, yes, I thought about the game. The game, the game. Yeah, a song that's all about how footy players were basically trying to get laid. Surprise that is that a show yeah. tune though? Is that a classic? Oh, it's it very Broadway, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's from it's from a, a show called Damn Yankees. I knew you would know, Daniel. <laughs> and unfortunately, unfortunately, that's that's all I know because I, I didn't look up what the what the show was about at all. I mean, I, I was I was oh, too distracted by yeah. the sight of, of Graham Blundell in a towel, which is considerably more than he wore during his album Purple Days. <laughs> Indeed. But look, the, the the only other thing to mention is that if if people were worried about the homoeroticism in the olden days. Uh, then they, they haven't seen this toilet break. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say it was the least erotic thing I've seen in the entire late show. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and it's time for everyone's favourite magician, Santo the Magnificent, and his stage of mystery. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm not going to break all this down because everyone knows it's off by heart. It's in the DVDs and uh, it is an undisputed loose classic. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. likes to bring on a volunteer, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> I love how the sting is the star of that sketch. <laughs> yeah. My favourite joke out of the entire thing because it's so subtle but uh, is this one. Ladies and gentlemen do you believe in mental telepathy? No, I hear you think. <laughs> but also, what is your name? Mick. He speaks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, all, that grab as well was part of uh, an entry as well for the Late Show Quote competition by Pete. So, uh, well done, Pete. <laughs> do, do we notice also there's a Benson and, Benson and Hedges packet in in this we had benson and hedges a few episodes ago but also a cameo from alf camilleri who brings on the one of the props and he's wearing a lovely turban to just to see yeah exactly yeah and uh yeah so the whole list you know goes through the whole gives mick tests you know time watch cough and you know etc yeah and then, and then makes a, 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 an audience member's moustache disappear. Look, I made that guy's moustache disappear. <laughs> also, I do love the way Santo has the script written on his forearm and he just checks oh, it. Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? <laughs> Onto his forearm. 
It's such an iconic sketch. I remember uh, about 13 years ago when someone painted Sanjo for the Archibald Prize. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, Daniel Sanger, his name was. And and Sanjo said, it's so surreal, it's ridiculous, of course I'll I'll pose for your painting. Uh, It didn't make the final cut, but it did make uh, an exhibition called Hidden Faces of the Archibald, which is kind of like the Salon de Refusé, the kind of um, (laughs) anti-Archibald exhibition (laughs) that was, uh, yeah, the fringe. So that was um, displayed in Melbourne's Park Hyatt and had um, it had other people like on the fruiter there. Uh, yes, I actually other. went to that. Oh, there you go. So yeah. you would have seen the Santo thing in the in person, and yeah, that's um, it's written on the Champagne Comedy podcast. But the, the the artist himself also did a blog about the whole process of how he painted that. But just to goes to show how iconic and what an impact that had on some people's lives to actually <laughs> paint that. So, <laughs> well, you need a portrait um, of Mick now wearing his Speed Dealer sunnies and sleeveless T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, just in his Bart Simpson boxer shorts. Yes. <laughs> I love the way Mick is basically laughing all the way through it. It's such oh. a great loose sketch. Yeah, uh, this is the bit where it's in lead up to the fruit salad. For centuries, people have been astounded <laughs> by juggling... <laughs> Tonight, I will juggle eight different fruits. Eight. Eight different fruits. Mick, pass me the fruit salad. (laughs) It's so lovingly loose, and I think also because this is coming up the back end of the uh, episode, it's it's a a, a good placement for uh, having these two loose sketches together. Uh, Santa the Magnificent and Graham and the Colonel in close proximity. I, I was. I just had one final point, which is I'm interested in the origins of this sketch because it looks like the kind of sketch you would do in a comedy club. You know, it's got yeah. that loose feel. They they they've obviously done it a few times before, and I just wondered if anyone out there knows if they ever saw it live or knows the origins of that sketch. It'd be really interesting to find out. Time for Piss Week <laughs> Airworld, and we have uh, the experience of. The Thrill of Flight, an aviation museum, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other things like climbing a flight simulator. I feel what it's like to be in a genuine biplane. And, oh, yeah, there's, there's heaps of them. So quite. This is such a nerdy piss week world. It's like, I don't understand what you're on about. <laughs> like, yeah. It's only if you're an air, uh, an aviation nerd, I think. It's like... <laughs> I, I quite like the air show spectacular, which is just them chucking a load of paper planes. Yes. That, was, yeah. that was that was fantastic. But but it's all the standard gags you'd expect from this kind of thing. Like, you know, the flight simulator is an office chair with wings and, and the airport trolley is just a suitcase in a shopping trolley. And, and so, you know, it, it's really super, super piss weak. Oh, the kite just slams into some kid's face. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact you have to pay departure tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah tw- $25 departure tax and the entry fee is like 50 cents or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's time for the final Graham and the Colonel for season one. You have Graham, but who's the other person? I am the Colonel. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You mightn't recognise me. Just because I've got dimples doesn't mean a thing. (laughs) Philip Brady is back. Yeah. And it was sort of delightful but also super awkward. Oh, 
This she whole... knew he was kind of superfluous. Yeah. <laughs> and then one time we did jump in, Rob yeah. was like, yeah, I can see why he didn't jump in. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to sit there I, where our work experience I kid sits. Gone, <laughs> Excuse me, that is the colonel's meddling kids. We'll have the chance to give it a few runs later on. <laughs> I also love that the dun dun from the um, set of the Magnificent uh, carries on into this sketch. They yeah, talk about a lot of cricket in this one, which there's a lot of cricket jokes which have gone directly over my head. As they describe more, I kind of worked that out. Zing! <laughs> oh, good one, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Brady's oh good one Graham yeah. <laughs> so other than that they bring out Richie Richardson hats props from last week excellent last, last episode yeah <laughs> so they brought it out for a second run and now they've now they're available as beach umbrellas big props yeah, it's hilarious <laughs> taking some um, influence there from Daryl Summers I think with the big props I think so being yeah. hilarious other stories, they went on tangents again, the royal divorce, and they wonder why Diana wouldn't be interested in such a virile specimen like Charles. And then Graham calls on Philip to rescue him anytime he wants. The colonel has been married to Lady Colonel for 30 years, and they were childhood, childhood sweethearts in school. Uh, he was in grade six, aged about 11, and she was 39, his math teacher. So that was... Yeah. Ew. And how did his parents take it? They wouldn't talk to her unless it was parent teacher night. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's sort of it's it's at about this point where Philip Brady uh, like happens to sort of unscrew his thermos and reveal to the audience that it's empty. Yeah. Hey, it's hey, not hey, even hey. a real thermos. Yeah. How you going there, Phil? <laughs> Graham Kennedy, you ain't. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the line. Oh, I won't. <laughs> Save us! But yeah, I, it, I, it's I, it's I, very I, loose this this episode, isn't it? This this Graham of the Kennel, it really really falls apart. Yeah, and they were running overtime just about because like this episode, like this podcast. <laughs> so they go on talking about movies where Graham saw Romper Stomper, and uh, they were discussing about the content and people saying it was too violent. So ah, it's not that violent, or it encourages violence or something like that. But Rob does break character to adjust his wig. Yeah, revealing uh, a skinhead underneath, which, uh, yeah, looked impressive. And, yeah, that I, I don't know how long it would have taken for that sort of thing to happen for, like, a five-second gag. This whole Graham and the Colonel did pick itself up with this next bit because they start reading out letters because a uh, pedantry thing where the whole neither here nor there and in an outbox. Kim, looking at you. Yes, yes. So maybe that was my letter that I wrote in, but I was highly relieved to find out that uh, someone had corrected their mistake. They were trying to work out how to spell it. They did get someone to fix it. N-E-I-T-H-E-R. Sorry, sorry, what was that again? N-E-I-T-H-E-R. Thank you. Just before you go, can you spell something else for us? Yeah. How do you spell Gogomobile? G O G G O. And that was unprompted. The uh, the audience coming in as well. Mm. But then the colonel was saying that it didn't feel right um, when he was saying all that stuff. He needed uh, the Gogomobile guy's wife to be there, and funny there she was in the audience. So other than that, that was a bit of a mess, Graham in the colonel. 
Uh, but luckily, uh, as you did say, Philip Brady did rescue it in his own way, so to speak. But yeah, other than that, we had the closing and they've got a worst album cover for the final time, really. So Jane brings out an album uh, which apparently Labor Senator Nick Bolkus <laughs> had sent in. The cover, the album was Summer uh, Party Plus with a scantily clad blonde woman on the beach with maracas covering her breasts. And apparently that was an early photo of Senator Bronwyn Bishop. <laughs> Tommy G goes to explain that it, while he's got a Coke can in his hand, that he decided to enter a competition uh, for Coca-Cola where you could write the end of a, write the script ending for one of their commercials starring E Street stars, really. Uh, that is Bruce Samazan, Melissa Bell and Laurie DeCole. My apologies, Laurie DeCole. They then play the, the Coca-Cola E Street ad and, yeah, it is... Kind of odd, especially seeing Bruce Samazan rapping. <laughs> Mate, yeah. All you have to do is look up Bruce Samazan, one of a kind on YouTube. <laughs> Not now. Do it afterwards we, in we, your own time. We, 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 we're we the teen queens in this man too. <laughs> <laughs> did they know. have teen queens in this? <laughs> it might have been. I think it did say teen queens on the Coke can. Bruce eats his uh, shish kebab. Bang, the house explodes. And this is it's why, well done anyway. Yeah. And well this is done. why Bruce Samazan's now a real estate agent. He's yeah, going yes. <laughs> sell houses. <laughs> Other than that, um, then they decide to show the end credits. They are running about five minutes over time. And yeah, and they, they, they sign off saying, hopefully we'll see you next year. Yeah, and they show a different bit of montage, really, which was a lot of it was behind the scenes and cast and crew. So they all get credit and they have Don Lane's Saturday Night is the Loneliest Night of the Week playing. Oh, no, no, hang on. Frank Sinatra. Sorry, Frank Sinatra. You need, you need to wait another 20 episodes before we get Don Lane. <laughs> it's millions of music, Frankie, baby. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Was there any Easter eggs in the credits, Daniel? Before I get to what might be the last Michael Hirsch credit, there was uh, a couple of other things uh, in there. The the last thing you see in the credits is Merry Christmas from The Late Show. And then just before that, the fantastic news that The Late Show caps are now available at the ABC shops. The caps. Yay! Oh, Alison. So, Yay! So, they, they, yeah, they must have had heaps of letters coming uh, and faxes probably at that time of the decade as well. Yeah, uh, Michael Hirsch gets the, well, I think it's the quintessential credit we don't know what he does. <laughs> yeah. I laughed when I saw that. It was great. Hey, speaking of um, caps, this is going back to the news desk, but um, Tommy G was wearing a challenge cap, and it reminded me that, do, do you guys know Challenge, the charity for um, kids with cancer? So Tommy G works for that charity uh, or used to. And it reminded me that in year 11, we used to fundraise for Challenge and we used to sell these little badges of Luke the Duck. And that meant that we could get these little newsletters from the charity and Tommy G was often in the newsletter. Well, that wraps up our season one, episode 20 of The Late Show. And now, yeah, we're going to go into season two down the track. But wow. after reflecting on all this, it's amazing what the best bits compared to the actual episodes that were watched, how much has survived for good reason and some that have ended up in you know the trash, really. Yeah, I'm not a fan of best bits because it seems to have things in it that are just pointless, like that Christian television 
ad thing, which is just, you know, minutes of this model that they've got not rolling around on a bed in our undies. Mm. And that just, to me, totally detracts from what The Late Show is. It's like, okay, it's fine as, as a sketch that's in an hour program, but when you edit it all down, when you edit 20 hours down into how long is a Best Bits tape, like two hours or something? It, yeah, it's, it's about that. It's a shocking waste of real estate. It's like, Mm. don't put that on when you could put on, you know, over-the-top pest control. (laughs) (laughs) Because those are the sorts of decisions I don't understand because if you, you know, there's nothing copyright about over-the-top pest control. It's insane. It's ridiculous. Why the hell did that just get shoveled down into, you know, a three-second bite on the credits? And more rats here later. <laughs> this this is uh, probably why those tapes went for so much money. People wanted to see yeah. the episodes in the entirety. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I uh, kind of feel it's one of those projects that it probably, I mean, you couldn't do it, but it would have benefited from a bit of time before editing it down because I, watching them, it really felt like they were aimed at people who would already seen the show. They were highlights that, you know, they were the good bits mm. whereas after a few years and people are still interested but you don't have the memory of what the show was like you just have a whole lot of disconnected bits that are funny in themselves but work better in context yeah mm. yeah you miss you miss the context because you you miss the context of the way that over two episodes they they go to town on the john singleton the beer ad for example you know there's two episodes of multiple bits in each episode really hammering you know what they feel about that that ad and you know you miss you miss that but but also you know removing some of the the stuff that i suppose isn't good enough for a best bits compilation you you also miss out on understanding some of the other things they were doing so you know obviously you can't include stuff like where there's copyrighted material so stuff that involves advertising or clips from other shows or whatever but all of that stuff was integral to what the late show was it was it was a bunch of piss farting about with found material really and you know all all we remember really are are the those bits that they could release or that they thought were good enough to release i can understand why there were some sketches they just thought actually this is this didn't work very well. We don't want this on the best bits. But there, there are also some really nice things that they missed out on, which is which is a shame. I mean, the thing yeah. is as well, you don't know. There could always be like behind the scenes reasons. There could be like we really like a sketch, but something didn't work in it, and it put them off the sketch. And when it came time to edit, they just went, "Nah, that one failed. Get rid of it." Whereas for fans at home, that was a good sketch. So, yeah, we're at the end of season one and, yeah, we're, we're going to say goodbye to you know, a few things which don't make it over into season two, like Countdown Classics, like Commercial Crime Stoppers, like Shirty. Yep, Shirty's gone. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Sink the Clipper. No, Spurs <laughs> family. Family's gone, yep. Mm. Yeah, so but that... uh, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of new stuff coming in season two, like uh, Charlie the Wonder Dog and Barjas and uh, the musical finales. Yes, yeah. So um, and a whole new cast member as well, an exciting new cast member. Indeed, yeah, yeah. And so we'll find out more about that when we actually start reviewing season two of the Late Show. So we're coming back for the Champagne Comedy Podcast, uh, and we'll be back in roughly a month's time or 
depending on when you listen to this, we're probably back already. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, so make sure you keep subscribing. Stay subscribed to our Champagne Comedy Podcast on all your podcast platforms, as well as follow us on Twitter at TLS Champagne, as well as Facebook. Um, and don't send me any links for eBay selling your VHS copies. You do that yourself. Okay? <laughs> Maybe they think those tapes are going to help them mine Bitcoin or something. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, downloading. Uh, Thanks for entering the competition. Uh, congratulations, Daniel. Uh, you'll get your prize back. I'll contact you personally. And, yeah, thank you so much. Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue, and Tony, thank you so much for wasting your precious time on this uh, project, really, <laughs> that started out as a corona, what do we do type lockdown thing. And, yeah, this is what's come to. And we've got some dedicated listeners out there. So thank you so much, guys and girls. I wouldn't want to waste my time with uh, any other people but you. Aww. Aww. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to say that, that things like this, various online activities involving groups of friends or like-minded people have really got me through the very long lockdowns that we've had here in the UK. And thanks to Matt for organising it and you guys for being a brilliant bunch of people to talk to every every two weeks but but also for those who've who've listened and, and tolerated our various ramblings thanks for joining <laughs> us on this fun journey yes oh, well thank, said yeah, well, thank you kim as well if it wasn't for you creating champagnecomedy.com we wouldn't be here exactly wow. See, 1996 it's paid off yeah yeah i found the archive of the original geocities page somewhere i will send you the link geocities <laughs> wow. oh man all right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll just wrap that up now. So, again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all the Warnickies, Fidgens, and Olivers out there. So, we've taken on board, <laughs> <laughs> and yet you're still listening. So, <laughs> thank you very much. My name's Matt, and this has been the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Catch you next time. See ya. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.